Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. Well, good afternoon. Um, thank you, Monica, for timing the last session so that I could <coughs> prepare a talk. Um, I've been suffering from a stomach ache for a couple of days, and so it's hard to concentrate on instructions to the cook. <laughs> and really read about the rice gruel. Um, but then uh, this afternoon I, I thought I'd prepare for the talk by lying down and just remembering what I like about this text. And um, it just so happens we're at my favorite part. Um, Dogen says... Um, um, wash everything he's talking about the utensils and the supplies in the kitchen wash everything so they are completely pure and clean place up high those that belong in high places and put down low those that belong in low places High places are high and level, and low places are low and level. Um, 
when you have a stomach ache, the only way you can uh, relate to the stomach ache is go to the stomach cake level. Did I just say stomach cake? <laughs> and um, it's like when, uh, when you see adults who aren't around kids very much, and they see a kid, and they stand up and they look down at them and say, How's school? How old are you now? You know? And uh, kids won't really talk to adults when they do that. Um, if you really want to get to know a kid, you have to bend down and you have to talk to them at eye level. And you see this uh, uh, a lot with really good teachers. You know, good teachers in the schools, when they talk to kids, they don't yell across the room. They go up to the kid, then they lower down and they talk uh, at the same level. And um, um, I think this is how uh, this is how we communicate with things. We put ourselves at the same level, and this is a pretty amazing thing that humans can do. And uh, um, we can get ourselves into these different levels. And um, when you're putting away a utensil that belongs up on a high shelf, then uh, you go right up to the high shelf and you place it on. You go to the high level. And then Dogen says, in this way, you go along with the high, and when it's low, you go along with the low. We were talking in the meeting this morning about depression, and um, we came to the conclusion that it's good to be depressed for about two years. <laughs> it's really good for your life, and um, not more, though. Um, Maybe we could add, you know, two years at a time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the thing about depression in our culture that's so um, obsessed with uh, consumerism and production is like we don't give depression its due. You know, depression is low and slow and blue and uh, um, it's very creative, you know. It slows us down and it makes us... Um, um, have way-seeking mind. And um, when we're high, to really be in the high. How many of us here, really, when we're joyful, can really let the joy happen? Sometimes the joy comes and we feel a little guilty. This is happening to me? So, um, I really like this, this part of Dogen, but there's another level to it, of course. And I think what Dogen's starting to really teach here, because he's going to meditate for a whole page now on utensils. He then says, uh, when you're cooking the rice in a pot, in the pot, uh, and you look down into the pot, so here's a pot, and you look down into the pot, just consider that that is the head of the Buddha, and treat it that way. Imagine if you had the head of the Buddha on this. So can you picture Dogen? He's in the kitchen. He makes himself the same level as the pot. And he's cooking the rice, imagining that this is the head of the Buddha. Which uh, echoes, I think, what he said a page earlier when he says, uh, take care of everything like it's your eyesight. I'm so glad I have my eyesight. Aren't you glad you have your eyesight? And Dogen's not really talking about your eyesight. He's talking about your ability to really be awake. 
And your ability to be awake is your ability to see that this is the head of the Buddha. And um, in India, when Buddhism was thriving in India, um, the Indians felt like really the best you could do in life was to be born into a human realm. And uh, that's like the highest you can go, really. That's where you want to be. Um, if you're in a low realm, you can't really be awake and practicing. So um, your mission is to keep getting born into human realms. Um, and you can be enlightened from there. And uh, because when Buddhism went to China, in China, uh, the uh, respect for the natural world from the Taoist roots uh, were so strong that this idea developed called Tathagata Garbha. Um, Tathagata means one who's gone forth. And in traditional Indian Buddhism, if you were a student of the Buddha, you were called a Tathagata, which basically means somebody who's homeless by choice. You've chosen not to have uh, one particular home. And the whole world becomes uh, your home. And... Um, Garba usually gets translated as nature, Buddha nature. Um, Tathagata Garba usually means Buddha nature. But actually the word Garba uh, actually means womb. And so it's not so much that you have this essential uh, Buddha nature, but that we all have the potential for going forth. We all have the potential for realizing that this whole world is our home. And... Um, when you accumulate a lot of possessions and you're compulsively uh, trying to keep them fixed and maintained and get more in this kind of throwaway society, um, uh, we don't appreciate how things, the insentient soup ladles and pots, uh, can wake us up. But we have to look not with the regular eyes that we look with. We have to take care of things as if we're taking care of our eyesight. And this might sound confusing at first, but I think you might begin to appreciate it on retreat as you begin to slow down and you notice that you're not really looking with your regular eyes. It's like you're looking with an inner eye. You don't really hear with your regular ears. You hear with your inner ear. And you don't move with what you think of as your body. Uh, you move with um, the whole body. And maybe even what you think of as me starts to settle a little bit. And uh, you become friends with the pot. And uh, then the pot becomes the teacher. This, this is my pot? Well, it's not really my pot. This is a... This has been around for a long time. As soon as center of gravity opened, I went to a retreat in New Mexico, and I picked this bowl up there because I love the sound of it. Now it's been smashed up so much, but this bowl is my friend. And uh, actually, I have a relationship with this bowl where every once in a while I try and take care of it and take the dents out. And uh, in a way... Uh, if I'm really honest, uh, this bowl teaches me just as much as a friend teaches me. And most of us are so obsessed, obsessed, I'm using this word obsessed today a lot, uh, 
are consumed with our sentient teachings, what people teach us. But actually, this bowl, I, I feel really, this bowl is my girlfriend. I won't tell my girlfriend that. And you shouldn't confuse your bowl and your girlfriend. <laughs> but actually, uh, you, the, the things, your, your body is insentient. It's not just sentient. Your brain is insentient. Your bones are insentient. And so, when we think about the lessons we learn from sentient beings, the sentient beings are mostly learning those lessons from the insentient. You can't really divide them up. When my son was, um, I don't remember how old, but he, when he learned his first word, it was boof. So we talked like this all the time. I'd say boof, say boof. And then I realized uh, the thing he, he loved was blueberries. And that was how he was saying blueberry. <laughs> and, you know, in that moment there's communication happening and he, at first I think, oh, you're learning the word blueberry. But actually he's just learning the word blueberry to communicate with me, but the teaching is actually the blueberry. It's the insentient. Just like you can talk to yourself about the snow and the sky and the colors. But the snow and the sky and the colors are teaching you and then you find language to communicate that. So the sentient and the insentient are really interdependent. And in a way, we all learn language because we love our mom and our dad. And uh, you, you, you go from zero to like a year and it's amazing how much language you learn so that you can communicate with your mom and your dad. And maybe some of us are still trying to invent new language to communicate with them. <laughs> it's still not working. <laughs> but we only have language because um, of uh, love, right? Love and communication. If we didn't have relationships, we wouldn't have any language. Um, Dogen, um, this is 1223, leaves Japan and um, is on a ship near China and he bumps into uh, a Tenzo from a monastery who is on the ship, who is uh, asking people on the ship if they, he can buy some mushrooms for them. And um, uh, he's going around and I guess this was something that, that would happen, these ships would turn into like markets. And um, he starts going to different people and buying different kinds of wild mushrooms that he's going to take back. And Dogen says, excuse me, uh, could I talk to you about your job as the Tenzo? You can imagine he's obsessed, right? You know, he finds the monk on the ship. Can I talk to you about your job? And the monk says, no, not right now, because I'm buying things for the monastery. And, uh, um, here's how it goes. 
how long is the road to this port? Uh, 34, 35 li. I don't know how much that is. I asked, when will you return from the monastery? And he said, if I can buy the mushrooms now, I'll set off right away. Dogen says, today I didn't expect to meet you and have a conversation on this ship. It's really fortunate to form this kind of bond. Uh, may I treat you to a meal? The cook said, it's impossible. If I don't oversee the preparation for tomorrow's meal, it won't turn out well. Dogen said, are there not co-workers in the monastery who understand how the meals work? Would it really be that bad if one cook is not present? <coughs> the cook said, I took up this position in the later years, and it's my pursuit of the way. Just what Dogen wanted to hear. I can't have tea for you because I have a practice. Come here, buy mushrooms, and this is my old man's pursuit of the way. I can't hand the way over to others. Wouldn't it be nice if you could do that? <laughs> hand your path to someone and say, could you just take care of the next little... I see it going downhill. <laughs> um... Again, I asked the cook, you are old in years. Why don't you just sit in meditation to pursue the way or contemplate the great words of others? It's troublesome being a cook. All you do is work. What good is that? The cook laughed and said, my good man from a foreign country, you do not understand the pursuit of the way because you do not yet know about words and written words. When I heard him speak in this manner, I suddenly felt ashamed and taken aback, and I asked him, well, what are written words? What is the practice of the way? The cook said, if you do not slip up and pass by the place you ask about, how could you not be a person? Dogen writes, I didn't understand. The cook said, if you don't understand, come to the mountain sometime in the future, and on that occasion we will discuss the principle of written words. The cook got up and said, it's late in the day, I'm in a hurry, I'm going back now. Seven months later, um, Dogen has some time, so he goes and visits this monastery. And when he's at the monastery, the monk hears that Dogen's there, and the monk's retiring. I jumped for joy and was very grateful. We had a conversation. I brought up the karmic conditions of written words and the pursuit of the way we discussed previously on the ship. And the cook said, The study of written words is to understand the purpose of written words. Pursuit of the way requires affirmation of the purpose of pursuing the way. I asked him, well, what are written words? And the cook answered, words are one letters, two letters, three letters, four letters, or five letters. I asked, well, what is the pursuit of the way? And the cook said, 
In the whole world, nothing is hidden. The whole world. So, he's playing with Dogen, if you can't tell. Dogen says, well, if I really want to study the way and I need some written words, what are words? And the cook says, oh, well, some have one letter, some have two letters, three letters, four letters, and so on. And then Dogen says, well, then what's the way? And the cook says, and this really wakes up Dogen, nothing is hidden. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear anything about spiritual practice, my built-in assumption is that I'm looking to get somewhere that's hidden right now. That God is, is, is like in the cork. Or that, you know, the spirit is around the corner somewhere. And so then it puts me in this position of having to get somewhere. And actually trying to get somewhere is exactly what obscures the path. And then we see that words are just letters, all joined together. Then Dogen writes, One letter, seven letters, three letters, or five. Investigating many images, one never reaches a basis. In the depth of the night, the moon sets into the dark sea. What that cook said to me some years ago expresses, clear, expresses what this poem clearly coincides. More and more I understand the cook was a true person of the way. But in the past, what I saw of written words was one, two, three, four, five. Today, what I see about words is there six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All these trees are words, and the cars are words, and they're all teaching us. Sometimes I think all the natural world is like, we're in this little museum, you know, and like we're running around doing our things and these like little rituals and lighting incense and getting mad at each other and buying things and dying. And like the natural world's outside, like some bad scene in Las Vegas, you know, and just watching us. The trees are watching us and the birds are watching us, kind of giggling a little bit, you know. What are they up to with these games? Um, but I also think maybe they really like our words. Most of them. And what's, what, what's ecology really but uh, a monastery? Right? A way of seeing how the world is interdependent. And uh, this whole world we're living in is a monastery. And uh, maybe it's just here so that we can wake up. I haven't discovered any other purpose yet. So this brings a koan that uh, Dogen refers to somewhere else that I wanted to try and um, enter together. Um, that I think really captures the way that the insentient can teach us. You know, I, I'm just distracted. I'm just remembering last night I had a dream 
And uh, I always have really vivid dreams on retreats. And in the dream, I was sitting here, and you were all in your place. Rayanne was here, and Sarah, and Sebastian, and Christiane, Mike. I mean, I got the rose right in the dream. And um, I could see your name tags. It was darker. And over the hall was the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> and it was going from one end of the campus to the other end of the campus. And we were all sitting and listening to the Brooklyn Bridge. And uh, that was the whole dream. So uh, this was the koan that I had to work out today. Um, maybe you can work it out for me. Dongshan asks Yunyan, Who can hear the teachings of the insentient? Who can hear the teachings of the insentient? Yunyan said, It can be heard by the insentient. Are we clear what the insentient is? I hope by now. It, sentient means um, with sense organs. Insentient means without sense organs. This is borrowed from uh, Indian Buddhism. And, you know, Indian philosophy way before the Buddha's time. And the problem with it from the Chinese perspective is that everything has the potential of waking up, not just humans. That the trees are alive and the trees have Buddha potential. The trees are homeless, just as you can be homeless. So Union said, so again, Dongshan asked Union, who can hear the teaching of the insentient? Union says, it can be heard by the insentient. Union said, if I heard it, then would you not hear my teaching? Dongshan answered, that being the case, then I don't hear your teaching. Union replied, you don't hear my teaching? If you don't hear my teaching, how could you hear the teaching of the insentient? <coughs> Let's go through that again. <coughs> Yun, uh, Dongshan asked Yunyan, who can hear the teaching of the insentient? This is a really good question. The way we relate to the insentient is we control the insentient. You know, my father, he loves uh, motorcycles. He's one with motorcycles. The design, the shape, they're, they're sitting in his garage all clean. And On Sunday morning, instead of going to church, he puts on, a, out, for each motorcycle he has an outfit. And he puts on the leather outfit of that color, and he gets, my dad's in his 60s, and he gets on them, these are racing bikes, and he drives them as fast as they can go. And uh, comes back half an hour later, and he's set for work the next day. And uh, he looks forward to this all day. He always says, well, isn't this just like your meditation practice? I, I get on my bike and I, and I learn from the bike, from fixing it and from taking care of it. And I said, no, because when you relate to your motorcycle, it has to do something for you. It has to provide you with something. It has to work for you. And when we relate to the insentient as meditators, we don't expect the world to do something for us. 
We're learning from the world. We're not going into the world needing it to do what we need it to do. And I'm sure there are people who relate to motorcycles who have more of a uh, equal relationship with them. So who can hear the teaching of the insentient? Who can hear the teaching of the snow? And Yunyan says, it can be heard by the insentient. So who can hear the sound of the snow? The trees. Then Dongshen answered, that being the case, then I don't hear your teaching. He's fooling with his teacher, right? Oh, well, if that's the case, then I can't really hear the teaching. In other words, I'm not listening. Right? And it, the whole koan could just end there, right? Because we're humans, we relate to humans, and we get the teachings of humans. And the insentient's out there, and the insentient can only hear the insentient. It's like the worlds are separate. This is like the Cartesian view. Yunyan replies to Dongshan, if you don't hear my teachings, how could you hear the teaching of the insentient? In other words, do you think that I'm only sentient? If you can't hear my teachings, how could you hear the teachings of the insentient? I, I, I sometimes interpret it this way. What ears are you listening with? You know, if you really look at a bowl with love, then you, uh, then you uh, look at the Dharma. But you can't look with your regular eyes. You have to look with the eyes that are not trying to find something hidden. And our regular eyes are searching. They don't just take the bowl as a bowl. They take the bowl as like referring to something. The bowl must be a metaphor for something. When Yunyan said, you don't even hear my teaching, how could you hear the teaching of the insentient? Dongshan gets enlightened. In other words, he hears something brand new. He goes home and he writes a poem, like all of us should do every day. And here's what he writes. Wondrous, marvelous, the teachings of the insentient are inconceivable. If you listen with your ears, you won't understand. But when you hear with your eyes, then you'll know. So hearing here means understanding, means take some, taking something in, being able to verify something. And Dongshan's realization is, you can't just be in the kitchen working and seeing the ladle as a ladle. That you see it as words, and as you see it as words, you see the thing as a thing, you learn from it, you're studying yourself, all this is happening simultaneously because you have a way-seeking heart. 
Well, this sounds confusing at first, but even like you think you have a body, right? We all think, oh, I have a body. This is my body. Don't touch my body. Give me a little bit of space. Uh, Sophia said yesterday, you know, when I'm sitting, I just want a little more space. <laughs> and I see you've got it now. Yeah, it's like, this is my body. You know? But actually, when you're meditating and you close your eyes and you really just uh, uh, start experiencing the body, there is no body. It's just this word you've placed on top. Body. You think, oh, the body is the sentient body. But actually, first you start to realize that there's just these sensations that like constellate like fireworks. And they come and they go, and they're changing in these patterns. And actually, even if you say hand, when your eyes are closed and you're really open to the hand, you can't find the hand. You can't find the edges of the hand. So you create an image of the hand, which is still words, picture words. And then you're still not in the hand. And then after a while, you start to realize that there's no hand. There's no eye, there's no ear, there's no tongue, there's no taste, there's no sight. Um, and this is the oneness. This is the samadhi. Um, and then you also see in that that none of that is sentient. That the human is totally made up of non-human elements. When you die, your body deteriorates and goes back into the earth and becomes minerals and all the elements again. And in a way, this question is really interesting. Who hears the insentient? Well, you, you can't hear with your ears. You have to hear with your eyes. And you can't see with your eyes, you have to see with your ears. You know, it's interesting that a lot of people who have synesthesia are artists. Where you go to the ballet and you just uh, hear sound. And you go to the opera and you just see color. You know, that the senses kind of blend with each other. And maybe that's what's happening here a little bit. Maybe we need a little synesthesia. All of us. Um, so that we don't use our sense organs in this way that's grasping all the time. And then at the same time, you know, human beings really need to uh, remove ourselves in order to see things. So we have to remove ourselves from the tree to see a tree. We have to remove ourselves uh, from each other to see each other. And sometimes we have to even remove ourselves from ourselves uh, to see ourselves. And we need to be able to do both. Um, it's like when you walk in the forest and you look at a tree the closer you get to the tree the less you can see the forest and then you have to kind of get around the tree and then you see the forest again and then you start walking to a tree and the closer you get to that tree 
the less you can see the forest. And um, you can't see God the same way that you can see a tree. If I want to see God, I had a teacher once, Richard Freeman, who used to always say, meditate on the unmanifest reality. Okay, the unmanifest. In other words, meditate on something that has no pattern. <laughs> and then the mind, it can't hold on to anything. And so you can't see uh, uh, what most traditions will call God, if you look for God. But then if you look at a tree, you can maybe hear God. And so when your eyes work in the regular way, they go after things, and then we miss them. Completely. And that's why I think in this meditation practice, how, if you can't even leave your own breath to come and go, how could we leave anything alone? Actually just being able to let the breath come and go without forcing it and changing it and manipulating it and stretching it, just to be able to do that for a few days, I think we can go back into the world again with a little less... Uh, Sculpting. So cutlery can be a good teaching. The music of cutlery. And um, did anybody hear all the stomachs in the morning? <laughs> and uh, it's music. John Cage says, if you hear sounds and you can't tell that that's music, then you should listen for a minute. And uh, if you listen for a minute and then you hear sounds and you still can't tell the music, you should listen for two minutes. And um, if you listen for two minutes and you still can't hear the music, then you should listen for three or four. <laughs> when John Cage used to compose, he used to go to, he used to go, he had a Ford Model T. He used to drive his Ford Model T from New York City to Boston, where at MIT they had a uh, sound chamber a silent, silent chamber, whatever they're called. And uh, he would just lock himself in there and he would hear all kinds of music. And uh, I think this is a really good, good example of this. If you're depressed, you have to go into the depressed place. And if you're bored, you have to go into the bored place. And uh, if there's pain, you have to really go into the pain place. Just like one day uh, when you're dying, you have to really be in a dying place. I've uh, worked with people who are dying, and um, 
when someone's dying and they don't want to be in a dying place, and they're fighting to not be in the dying place, they're suffering so much. And the interesting thing is when you're really fully in a dying place, and you can really be in the dying place, then um, you're really in a living place. Because you're really alive to what's happening. And then some of us, we're in the living place, and we're not alive in the living place. We're not alive to ourselves. And then when we're not alive to ourselves, and know what we need to be alive, then the world is not alive either. These days my current theory is like that the basic human needs are, are a sky with really good colors and uh, sleep. If you get those two, everything's okay. Get the right amount of sleep and make sure you check out the sky as much as possible. That's my theory for today, anyways. So, letters are human music. And... Um, it's exactly the same with the wind and the breath. The breath is also music. And um, I hope you can hear it. Um, <coughs> this is what Dogen's asking you to do. And then when you do, this is um, the Buddha embryo. And um, Our, our human life is, is really tragic, uh, but it's not your fault. And uh, sometimes I just want to go to people who I see struggling on their meditation practice and I want to rub their back. Um, sometimes you see Avalokiteshvara just with her hand up like this, kind of like when your mom comes and puts her hand on your chest. And, uh, saying everything's okay. I just want to say sometimes to people, it's not your fault. <laughs> what a relief when you hit that phase in meditation where you realize you don't have to fix everything that's in your, in your mind. And um, our job now is just to to really continue um, entering stillness and absorbing stillness, and. Um, Really not, not using the ear that you think is your ear. And not using the eye that you think is your eye. And not relating to your body as what you think your body should be or what it can do in the world. Or how it's perceived in the world. And um, 
we're not trees and we're not bowls and uh, that's so good and I'm glad I have my eyesight because I can see all of you and then I really appreciate all of you and um, I appreciate what you look like and I'm so glad you, I'm not in a room full of birds <laughs> or trees And every year you should come on retreat because um, the problem with humans on the human route is like we forget. Uh, we forget about being humans, we forget about the route, we think we're sentient. And if you think you're sentient, then the insentient is out there. And um, don't forget. I mean, even if you do, it's not your fault. So, um, uh, so, so this is how we remember. We see that nothing's hidden. The sentient teaches us, the insentient teaches us, and nothing's hidden. Stop trying to find God in everything. Stop trying to find meaning in everything. And then when you give up, it's kind of like, I need to figure this out. Where is he? I remember when I was a little kid and my uncle, who taught me about the Dharma, he showed me a little image of the Buddha and then he showed me a little image of Jesus Christ, you know. He said, look at these images. And I remember thinking, whoa. I was just so amazed how different the postures were. You know, like Jesus out there with the nails and the blood. And Buddha was like... And so I, I always said to him, I think they should face each other. <laughs> Because the Buddha seems so inhuman, you know. And um, maybe now I'd interpret differently, which is they have to get on each other's level. In us. And um, we can all do this. So if you're feeling discomfort, um, if we're at the phase of our retreat where now new levels of sensation or habit or whatever are beginning to arise, then... Um, Welcome it. It's okay. And uh, it's insentient. And it's sentient.
order for um, for us to keep the interviews moving along, we'll have a session right now. So this is a optional walking or sitting meditation right now, inside or outside. Uh, Um, I would encourage you, you know, after a talk to uh, to do whatever you're going to do slow. So I would encourage indoor, very slow walking uh, or sitting, fast sitting. 